So, uh, welcome. Uh, my name is Rikard from uh, representing Fernley uh, Securities. Uh, I have a great panel here uh, with me today. Uh, some uh, sheep owners that has done some fantastic careers and will share some views with us on the commodity shipping markets and, and the upcoming regulations. Um, we can start on the far end here. Um, Marco Fiore from uh, CEO, Bermuda, controlling 28 vessels, Drabok and, and tanker market. Bermuda has a long history, established in 1907. In my previous career, I, I covered, uh, remember, D'Amico, which you controlled uh, or, or headed for 22 years. Um, there were some periods that, you know, the company needed almost uh, weekly updates to hold, uh, to, to hold the, you know, keep control of the fleet development. Marco bought and sold ships uh, faster than I were able to print new uh, research reports. So I certainly can sign off that you have a strong ability to, to buy and sell uh, ships and, and uh, the asset play. Uh, Mats Boye, uh, COO in, in Pangea Logistics, uh, international shipping group, uh, capitalized at around $300 million. million. Terminal operations, long-term KUAS, uh, ice-class vessels, they, the company offers unique logistic solutions. And uh, to my left there, John Su, President and CEO of Erasmus Ship Invest Group, um, international shipping group uh, focusing on drawbook as well as fee container feeders and uh, LPG vessels, operate a diversified fleet of 30 vessels. Um, the key exposure to these, uh, these companies are, are, are Drabok. Eastern uh, Vogen, uh, which just held uh, the presentation now, um, uh, was covering the, the key items, on, at least on, on Fernley's um, uh, view. Um, the market has you know, underperformed market fundamentals. Uh, demand is you know, between 4 and 5%, uh, supply 2.8% with uh, basically lim marginal congestion in, in, uh, in China. Um, but if you're looking at the, the cyclical comparisons and, and uh, leading indicators, these uh, 2020, 24 can be compared to 2021, 2017, 13, and 10. And on average on those years, uh, rates were up 80% year on year. So we are bullish on, on 24. Um, but we'll see what these, these gentlemen have to, to say. We, 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 I'll, I'll jump into the, you know, some company-specific questions to start off with. Um, and maybe I'll start with, um, with you, Mats, um, on you know, key priorities for your company. And I, rem I read the, the quarterly report, and, and you said something like, the company focusing on you know, continues to maintain a disciplined, disciplined capital allocation strategy designed to drive long-term value creation for our shareholders. That is too complicated to me, but what does it really mean? You know, what's your key priority for 24? It's not, it's not really controversial, is it? <laughs> no, it's, no, but, but, but it, it just reflects that, that our sort of key priorities doesn't change quarter to quarter. It, uh, we think long-term than most uh, other public shipping companies, um, we, we, we prefer slow and steady. That's fine with us, and, and, and you know, the. The markets for us actually haven't been that bad this year. We, we you know, the, 
the macro outlook uh, on supply and demand looks great, and I think we will for sure be more busy acquisition-wise in the next 12 to 24 months that we've been in the last two years, where we felt the prices probably got a little too high. So it's, it's continued growth in the underlying COA business, and then we add ships on top of that. You added a couple of, of ships uh, the last 12 months, three ships, I guess, $64 million. Is, are you still optimistic on, on ship prices as of today, and, and would you consider new builds? Um, I think for us, new builds, it, it has to be said, has always been uh, something we've done around a project, a contract, um, and, and primarily in the ice class space, because there's simply no second-hand market to, to buy those ships from. Um, so I don't think so, unless a couple of the things that we're working on now will come to fruition, then we will for sure be in the, in the new building space again. Um, but in the short term, we're focused on second-hand acquisition. The, there's still, we feel, the best value out there um, yeah. in that part of the market. And we're not scared of, of, of where the values are. I think, again, for, for the Supermax and Ultramax space, the markets haven't actually been that bad. You know, Cape size takes up a lot of the attention. That's, that's natural. But um, sort of our underlying business has performed quite well. And, and I don't think we're... We are sort of scared away by today's prices, not at all. It's about finding the right ship. That's what the key is, right? So. And any comments on, on Swiss Marine buying uh, into the company? We've seen a couple of uh, examples on that, on the container side at least. Uh, but, you know, Swiss Marine, is, is that uh, any comments on, uh, on their um, buying 5%, I guess, of the, of the company now? It, it seems to be the fashion these days, right? All the shipping companies buying into, uh, into each other. It's yeah. interesting. No, no, I, you know, I, I can't comment much other than I think, uh, you know, people look at the values of the, of the stock and they look at, you know, how do I get reach beyond my own company? How do I, you know, find another company that they, that they think I will run and they see an opportunity, right? It's, it, that's, uh, we're not too fussed about it, to be honest. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's in some ways it's a stamp of approval. Okay. John, uh, you, you have a... Um a fleet of, of Drabok and, and containers, LPG. How do you view, you know, um, a diversified uh, fleet seems to be your, your strategy. Can you elaborate a bit on, on that? Is that uh, yeah, any clear benefits or, or uh, disadvantages? A diversified fleet versus a pure play fleet, uh, etc. Yeah, sure. Thank you for the question, Rickard. Uh, Morning, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Actually, uh, as to the question asked by Ricard, I think uh, uh, diversification is somehow that uh, we are doing uh, spontaneously. On the other hand, it's also uh, a little bit passively. We are reacting to the market trend. Uh, because at the very beginning of the investment group, when we set up the company, it's uh, uh, mainly concentrated on dry bulk, especially with green. Uh, as the major commodity that we are carrying by Panamax and Kamsamax. So, uh, of course, on the other hand, um, there's always a pro and a con for, for any kind of diversifications, actually. So it's also, uh, as what our group is doing now is uh, on dry, on gas, and container feeder vessels, they are somehow uh, facing different phase of the market cycle. And also, uh, commodity demand-wise, also quite different. Uh, on the other hand, uh, I would like to say that probably the size of the ships that we are involving on all these sectors are relatively going to smaller size instead of mega uh, big size vessels. So it's not only because of the, the size of the project, uh, different of course, uh, but on the, on the other hand, 
we are also viewing uh, the market challenges, especially uh, given by the different regulations, alternative fuels, uh, a kind of, uh, uh, I think we are at a crossroad that we have never uh, encountered in the past, that uh, today what we are making a decision on different technologies, uh, we are not sure about tomorrow or the day after tomorrow this can be correct or not. So this is something that uh, a kind of diversification of, for us to manage the risks. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Um, the, the LPG market has been uh, very strong uh, over the last, um, last months. Uh, the order book has been building up. Um, uh, what's your expectations uh, on the LPG freight market going forward now? Well, I think also uh, every sector has said is, uh, is really can be falling completely apart according to the different sides of the ship. As uh, Fernie uh, gave very correct uh, prediction and a summary on the VLGC sector, I think is, uh, we are probably facing also certain kind of uh, overcapacity situation uh, because such mega vessels are easily built by some strong capacity shipyards out of China, Korea, Japan, and well, what we are doing in particular is relatively smaller size. So the smaller size, as at least we know that there are very, very limited yards building capacities. And also on the gas side, uh, it's, it's quite different from the other, the, sorry, the other segments is that uh, uh, it's heavily dependent on the gas tanks. So the gas tanks maker, for example, out of Japan, uh, as far as I know, is only two makers now. So which means that uh, the building capacity for smaller size of uh, gas carriers can be very limited. So, uh, and this is overall traditionally gas carrier is, is very much a stabilized uh, sector. Some people would like to say that is very boring because com comparing with large um, cape size vessels uh, or tanker market it can be very lack of what abilities. So, uh, well, some, to my eyes, I think uh, um, gas, especially the smaller segment of gas carriers, bring very much stable cash flow. So it's, it's also a kind of long-term investment game instead of speculative way. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, just a, f a final one. Um, if we look into the, the crystal ball um, for a company like yourself and, and other ship owners, what, what one area would do you think uh, ship owners will regret uh, that they didn't invest in uh, 12 months from now? You know, which sector are you most bullish on? Um, I think uh, it's always difficult for, for everyone to find the, the real crystal ball. Uh, but I think uh, I would rather say that probably uh, let's hope that we will not regret that we have done something. Uh, on the other hand, as said, uh, uh, apart from the commodity uh, supply demand side, we are seeing uh, that completely mixed signals on different alternative fuels. So uh, we have seen that recently quite a few orders being placed on the dry bulk, on tanker, on all segments that with either ammonia or LNG powered or methanol. So as there are still certainly there are certain conventional orders as well. Conventional, I mean, sorry, conventional fuel uh, vessels ordered as well. So and relatively on a high price level historically. So I think that uh, sometime I would like to say that maybe doing nothing is better than doing something wrong at the moment. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, John. Marco? Yep. How high can these product tanker rates go this you know, next 12 months? 
you know, they've been pretty firm uh, uh, the last 12 months now. How high can I go? Um, well, I think probably they're not on the highest. The, the highest level, I think, was of beginning of, uh, of this year and uh, end of last year. But, you know, they've been very stable. So I think, I think the big negative thing that we have in general in markets is that we get very quickly used to good markets. So you say, ah, only $30,000 a day because, you know, six months ago you were making thirty-five. you know. So, you know, I think you have to be realistic and keep... Uh, uh, today the rates than uh, three years ago we would have been dreaming about. So, you know, I think you, you have to keep your feet on the ground. So uh, prices have been going up, uh, rates have been steady. And especially what's been very interesting is that you have a very uh, large number of first quality charter who are extending maturities. So it's not just for us that we see the market going strong, but you see a lot of the big traders, the big oil companies, they're very interested in securing tonnage. Uh, probably because they see that the inventory is going down, uh, modern ships, they're getting fewer and fewer. So you see a lot of people are interested in periods that before you were not seeing the three years, the five years. Uh, I think that that's, that's a good indicator in the market. Uh, so I think prices in 24 will be strong. And you know, the, a lot of people say the Ukrainian, uh, Russian, Ukrainian war has been a factor in, in these levels. I was always very convinced uh, that uh, tankers would have been doing well. Probably has been more of a catalyst. The war has been accelerating and enhancing this volatility. But I think we would have faced anyhow a good market because, you know, there was there the problem of the ton mile stretching for changing regulation. There was the problem of less output, uh, less modern ships. Uh, so I think all the factors were there. The, I think uh, these geopolitical... Uh, factors have only accelerated the, the rise in the market, but I think the, the, the fundamentals were always there. So 24, we still forecasted a very good year like 23, which has been a very, very good year. Also, if not been the top, but you know, I think we go back in the concept of uh, being satisfied of what's happening. But, um, in, in, we, we saw in the previous presentation, um, the ordering level and, and order books, both on, on, on draw book and, and tankers, are at the, historically at least, uh, relatively low, low levels. Um, you know, is this time different? Could we see an extended period of time, both on the draw book and tankers, uh, with super profits there before, you know, building the overbuilding the market uh, against, as we've seen so many times uh, before? Um, could this? Uh, could we see, you know, is this time, diff this time different and, and could we see an extended period of, of super profits here the next couple of years, Marco? Look, I'm, I'm always very, very suspicious when people say this time is different. It's always the same, you know, this time is it's always the same thing, you know, it's never, never different. Uh, what I think, and, and I think I would, uh, I would appreciate if somebody also on the on, uh, here in the room would, uh, would, uh, would in, uh, interact on this. What I think is a little bit different is that you saw in the very strong market 2005, 2006, there was a huge number of greenfield yards coming in the market. This time, very few actually. There's been yards actually, actually being reduced. So there's not been that rush that has been uh, last time on last cycle. This is, the, for me, the main difference. So you had a strong market with 
another principle in shipping which is important that every year that goes by the fleet becomes one year older so you had a lot of fleets for getting one year older there was lack of building for many years and uh, and then uh, there's not been this uh, this tremendous push up in uh, in uh, in uh, new buildings so i think uh, uh, there's been more of a consolidation with less number of ships delivered, more than uh, more yards with more. So I think it's all positive factors in general uh, on this. I don't know, but this just my modest opinion, you know. Uh, last question to you. Can you share a bit of your, your thoughts running a, a public versus a, a private company? What's the, you know, key benefits and, uh, you know, maybe challenges, uh, private versus uh, public? Look, as far as time con time consumed, I can tell you it's the same because I was traveling a lot and I'm still traveling a lot. Uh, actually, I've been here and you don't even know where you are at the end of the day. No, I think you have less probably corporate governance, but for sure, you know, when 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 I joined Premuda, was a company was in uh, in Chapter 11, so we're coming out of it now. We're doing very well. So. You have other worries, you know. So, you know, one, D'Amico was a well-established company after many years. As you see, we were selling and buying a lot. And then this one is the same thing. We started with uh, 12 ships. We're at 29 now. And uh, so with a lot of work. But I think the amount of work is uh, just uh, the same. I think the key part of both of them is just being surrounded with very competent people. Choose well your your uh, your staff and uh, and uh, your advisors uh, if you need some advisors. Uh, but uh, the key issues are choosing always the best because uh, running things and being a micromanager doesn't work. I think uh, in general. Okay, let's let's touch a bit on. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, let's touch a bit on on uh, the drawbox side, and we can start off with the with the demand. Um, Arinor and, and uh, coal imports to China and India has been uh, significantly stronger this year than than previous year. Um, despite that, we have seen relatively subdued uh, rates. You know what has uh, gone wrong on the demand side, if anything. Um, maybe start with uh, with you, John. Uh, as to uh, the demand uh, for, for dry commodities, especially in China, uh, I mean, uh, iron ore and coal, I think it's, it's always uh, there's some kind of seasonalities involved. Uh, but overall, I think that's uh, the demand, especially iron ore, maybe not that strong as comparing with year before. It's, uh, obviously, it's very much associated with the real estate market, uh, overall the economic performance out of China. And uh, uh, what, what I would like to point out is also actually on the green sector is, on the other hand, is quite booming the firm uh, for the last couple of years, including this year as well. So the green, the green demand uh, is very much stable, let's say, uh, also for the long term. For the coal, I would like to say that actually even though it's, it's a little bit uh, as deemed as polluted the category, but it still uh, remain firm uh, over the past few months. So uh, I think that's, uh, that's more or less uh, on this demand side uh, for, for dry commodities. But what I, I think what, uh, you, what you ask with Marco about um, uh, is kind of the supply, especially uh, some yards in uh, out of China as supposedly is used to be bankrupt yards or green field. Uh, actually, over the last couple of years, a lot of them have been coming back to the scene, actually. So this is some signal that we have seen. Uh, I mean, we have never uh, not seen since 2008 so far. Uh, 
So, uh, and uh, obviously, uh, for for the demand uh, for the supply side, we have seen most of the shipyards uh, in uh, uh, Japan, China, they are fully up to 2027, even further. Now, this is something we also uh, very very seldom to say that order book have been filling up for the next four years time. So, okay. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, yesterday we, we saw a big uh, stimulus package being uh, announced announced in uh, in China. You know, how could this uh, impact the market? It's an open question to you guys. Anyone wants to answer? Um, how will this impact? Could this impact the drawbook or the markets? I think it could for sure, right? And and I think the the story around China is is in my opinion more of a sort of a of a dream that never happened, right? You know, we were hoping in the early part of the year for this uh, China reopening story, and it, it didn't really didn't really happen, right? And and, and I think the only the only negative data point you can point to is the is the is the reduction in inefficiencies in the fleet, right? It's, it's nothing else suggests that it, we would we would be in this kind of market um, because I think the slides if we had done this half a year ago, the slides would have been the same, right? The same story. So, you know, I think that the one silver lining here is that the inventories are low. So um, there's for sure more risk to the upside, it would seem. But I mean, it's gonna be, it's never a straight line, right? There's always, uh, it never really plays out the way you think when it comes to, uh, to how this uh, Chinese demand works, I think. Yeah. On the um, tanker side, I think that, um, that uh, any kind of recovery in China would absorb because China has been uh, a big contributor uh, to the to this market of tankers because they've been importing a lot of crude, refining it, and then whatever was not consumed domestically, they were exporting it. So there's been a lot of exit of products out of China. So any kind of domestic improvement would reduce the exit of, uh, of products out of China. But you know, at the end of the day, uh, they're still a big player, and uh, I think I think in the global uh, energy market, if you want to talk about that, I think China is important, but just as is important is India. I think there are other factors that are uh, more fundamental. Uh, I'm sure your analyst uh, Furlitz would agree that is the massive dislocation of refining and production between uh, between refineries. Uh, uh, I think the massive uh, uh, increase of ton mile with uh, new regulations are coming in. So these are really uh, tectonic shifts in the market that I think we've never seen before, like, uh, like John was saying. You know, I think we're seeing really some factors that never happen, and probably similar to, I don't know, OPA 90 with the double hull. You know, you had to decide something very quickly. So I think that's, that's going to be very, very interesting time, but not necessarily bad times. I think I'm very positive about the future, so, you know. Um, thanks for that. Um, if, if you look at, at coal as a, as a commodity, it's been, you know, record high uh, import levels and, and, um, and, and very strong uh, demand on the, on the coal side. Um, but despite that, you know, being the most pollutive uh, energy source, um, what, what is your long-term view on, uh, on, on coal and, and how will this impact uh, the market? Um, will it continue to be... Um, you know, in demand the next, you know, four, five, six years, or, or will we continue to, or will we see a, you know, decline at some point, at some stage here? What's your, your view, John? 
Yeah, I, th I think the coal art, as mentioned, is, is can be a really uh, little bit tricky item that we talk about. Uh, of course, a couple of years back, we have seen some companies, for their image reasons, they uh, even uh, announced that they will never carry coal cargoes uh, for environmental protection purposes. Uh, but however, uh, recently we have seen uh, quite a strong spike on the coal transport demand. And um, personally, I still believe that for the next few years' time, coal will never disappear. So uh, especially, as I said, sometimes seasonalities uh, for the winter season, so for the, for the North Hemisphere, for sure, the coal cargo will uh, still uh, remain a very strong part of the demand. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, I wanted to add something on John, uh, expanding it. In, in my career, probably I'm here, uh, one of the oldest, but not of the smartest here in the room. But, but apart that, I've seen coal dying and resuscitating at least two or three times. You know, our coal is dead, let's move out. You know, so that. I've seen oil companies saying, ah, no, more than 15-year-old ships were not going to charter any more than 15-year-old ship. And that's also gone out of the window. What is the meaning? That at the end of the day, we need energy. And if we don't have energy at cheap prices, uh, people can have a lot of uh, greenwashing, the best intentions. But then at the end of the day, we need energy. So people will always try to find a mix that's going to give you the highest output at the cheapest uh, cost. You know, And that goes for coal, goes for oil. So I think uh, it's going to be a long transition. But the main driver is going to be that we need their conditioning, we need the heating, we need all the products that energy is giving us. So, you know, I think uh, we, have, uh, we have a lot of good intentions, but then we are brought back to a very harsh reality of the things that we need every day, you know. So, and this is my personal experience, but I don't know. Um, Mats, a, a question to you, if we, if we move on to on the supply side, we're seeing a, uh, on the commodity shipping at least, uh, a relatively low focusing on dry book and tankers, relatively low um, order book. And, and yards are filling up now until you know, late 26, 27. Um, you have new regulations uh, coming in uh, that will reduce uh, vessel speeds, canal congestions, uh, charters require newer vessels when they charter uh, due to corporate governance policies, et cetera, et cetera. You know, could we see a... Um, Supply crunch here the next couple of years, and, and what's your view on the on the new building uh, capacity um, going forward now? Um, I, I think I can echo what the other two gentlemen said here, and and, and especially a comment around uh, you know charters requiring higher standards. Um, I think when you get in the room with them and negotiate, it's a very different story. <laughs> uh, in terms of, um, I mean, they would love us to do that and say you know do this, do that, um, but. Uh, when it comes to understanding that that has a higher cost, um, the conversation sort of turns over to a more pragmatic approach. And like what you said, Marco, about older ships and all that, that that's still um, is very much in the picture. You have some very high-profile orders of some dual-fuel ships, but in, the, in reality, those are companies that will have five or six dual-fuel ships out of maybe 500. Hmm. Right? Um, I think it's unsustainable for shipping companies to bear that burden. It, it will never work. If we don't find a way to um, work with our customers, essentially um, pass this extra cost down the line, it, you know, it, 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 it cannot work financially, unfortunately. But um, the, the extra cost is simply too large now. And, and I think there will be a time now where 
where it will be sort of contract based, where you can find the few customers who are willing to do it, and then you know we are absolutely prepared to do it as well. Um, but until that point, we are focusing, you know, all of our energy on optimizing what we have trading on the on the water today. There's still five ten percent probably we can we can gain from doing things better there, and that's what we're focused on. Marco, do you have any views on uh, on the supply side you would like to add? You have been in the market for a couple of years, so uh, seen some ups and downs. <laughs> Uh, no, I think on the supply side, what well, I think we all agree on that, and I think that uh, uh, I think that's one of the reasons why I'm kind of bullish. I think uh, you know, I think uh, you see a lot of people saying, ah, "I don't want to buy ships, I don't want to build ships at these levels." But then at the end of the day, uh, you know. You, I think you move in steps, you know, it's like steps. I think the period of building MRs, uh, new building MRs at, uh, at 32 million is finished. You know, probably the next uh, floor is uh, 38. So probably it's today 45 is high, but we're certainly not going back to 35. So, you know, I think we moved into a new paradigm because also because for many years prices were, were where they were. Uh, shipbuilding is not the most popular uh, industry for young people to go and work here. People prefer to be in IT or in, uh, in other jobs. You know, it's, it's a tough job being on a shipyard in winter, uh, building ships. So it does not attract a lot of people. And I think that, uh, that at the end of the day, I think uh, supply is going to be very limited, you know, limited, very limited. But it's going to be more limited than it's been in the past, you know, and then you know, then I think there is also a cycle we've seen in our lives. If you think about it, uh, uh, was before Europe building ships, then was the United States, then moved uh, to Japan, then moved to Korea, and then moved to China. Uh, so I think today you have to ask yourself, once China is going to lift its economic level, and less and less people will want to go into shipyards, and so is Korea and so Japan, who's going to be the next China? Frankly speaking, I don't know who's going to be the next China, because uh, I think, uh, I think uh, it's going to be difficult to find a replacement that all these countries have had of cheap labor and skilled labor and cheap labor. I don't see the next country in this cycle who could be. So India will not... Uh you know, be a shipbuilding nation? Yeah, they could be, but you know, India is very, it's a very educated country, it's a very big country, they have fantastic people in India coming out, especially on the crewing side, I think they're probably one of the best uh, crews. But then it is a very bureaucratic country, and it's already evolved uh, a lot, so I think it's very difficult to see India, uh, India becoming the next China in the shipbuilding industry, I think. Uh, I don't know. Okay. John, moving, moving on to uh, uh, the regulatory side of, of uh, things. Uh, EU um, ETS seem is, is uh, coming up in addition to other IMO uh, regulation. Um, how are you positioning yourselves uh, towards um, these new regulations and implementation of, of these? Um, well, we, we are uh, actually, uh, in particular for our own fleet, uh, certainly we are doing the evaluation of uh, each vessel's uh, emission standards uh, to make sure that uh, uh, we are meeting the decarbonization requirement, uh, any policy issued by European Union and IMO. 
And uh, well, again, on, on the alternative fuel side, we, we are really stick to the conventional ones, so up to now. And uh, certainly, uh, most of our vessels, fleet vessels, are uh, EDI, EXI in compliance. And also, uh, I mean, uh, there's, we don't feel that uh, there's a, a serious threat or impact to, uh, to that part on, on the regulation front, hmm. actually. The implementation of the ETS uh, system ha has not been without criticism. Um, Mats, do you believe that the ETS uh, system uh, could be a part of the solution to decarbonize international uh, shipping? I think um, it would have been preferred if it was a global uh, system. Um, I'm sure the IMO wants to get in on, uh, on, on collecting funds. Uh, from ship owners soon, but I don't know how quickly that can be implement, implemented. But I think some sort of carbon tax um, is the only way forward to sort of drive the, to be part of, not all of it, but not all of uh, the reason, but part of the reason for driving the change, right? Um, I, th I think the, the EU ETS system is, um, is unlike the EEXI, which when we first heard about that, that was very scary. And then we trying to get our head around CII, and okay, we find out that's, that's manageable as well. Mm. Now, the EU ETS has a lot more sort of operational and commercial components to it. Um, but, but, I mean, this is something that we have, we have already bought the first ones because we already have contracts for next year. So we have priced that in. So, so it can't be done. It's, uh, for us, it's uh, any time you have uh, like uncertainty and a little bit of hesitancy in other parts of the market for, for these, type of, um, these type of regulations, you know, that's opportunity for the rest of us. If, 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 we, if we find a way to handle this well, and I believe we have, this is another part of, of, of a, where we can service our customers um, better than a sort of traditional tonnage provider or, you know, a company that does, that's not even interested in going into this, right? I think the key will be to make sure that it is enforced so those that follow the rules and buy the EOAs and hand over the EOAs when we, I mean, that, that the ones that don't do that are not able to continue to trade, right? That, that, would, be a, a, that would be a big problem, right? But in terms of of, of this mega disruption, I don't think, at least not for us. Our customers appreciate that we have spent the time understanding the way it works, set up the accounts, and can offer that inclusive our freight offering. So. A, a, a question to the, the three of you in, in this relation. Um, are you considering uh, buying a, a new ship with an alternative fuel, and if so, which uh, alternative fuel do you think will be the preferred uh, fuel in the in the future as we as the you know world looks now i think i i've kind of answered the question earlier i think is that like we're still very much in a wait and see mode yeah um i think much more than what happens on the ship and and the technology there what determines the decision is the availability of the fuel and the infrastructure to supply that fuel whether it's fuel a b or c i don't i think we're pretty agnostic about that um, it's about making sure that if you spend the money to buy the ship that can burn it, that you also are able to buy it. And as, as Tribark, we are, we're pretty far removed from the end user. So if you are, I guess, talking to a, a car carrier company or a container line, we're much closer to the, to the, to the consumers. The, the pressure there is higher. And, you know, we'll be, we'll be competing for that fuel. Um, and there won't be enough of it when, whenever, whenever, when we all need it, right? So, so I think it's, uh, you know, we're thinking about it, we're talking a lot about it, and last night someone told me methanol for sure. 
this morning someone said ammonia for sure. <laughs> so <laughs> I think we, 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 we got to be flexible and have an open mind to all solutions. But again, it's really important. We don't forget that we have ships trading today. And we need to do everything we can there to, to optimize those and, and, and minimize the consumption on those. And we can still do you know, a lot better in that space as a business, I'm sure of it. Okay. Uh, you know, I wanted to add on, on Matt's comment. We have ships trading today, but it's not ships that are trading just for our pleasure or for our personal gain. We have ships trading because the world needs all the ships to be trading. So I think it's impossible to imagine a world that all of a sudden, from overnight, you change the mix of, uh, of energy, of energy consumption on board of ships. So uh, I think uh, I agree with him. And then there's going to be different horses for different courses. You know, the smaller ships probably will, will use one type of, uh, of fuel that's not the bigger ships because the bigger ships have more logistical hubs that will be stopping, you know, for a, for a handy that's tramping all over the world. Uh, I think it's going to be much more difficult to decide. I don't know, John, you can comment on this probably better, you know. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And I, was, I also think we need to it's consider, yeah, we also need to consider the, I don't know, opportunity or risk, depending on how we look at it, that we, we're going from a, a one type of fuel. I think if you look five, ten years in the future, you'll probably be, have five or six types of fuel, right, in the, in the space. As Marco said, it's what's right for handy size is not the same thing that's right for Newcastle Max. Absolutely. And so you've you got you to gotta be pragmatic and look at your business and... and and you have big distortion in the market. For example, there was a period, uh, there is still probably a period where in, in South America, there's no, there's no high sulfur fuel. So <laughs> people who have a scrubber, <laughs> you're not utilizing the scrubber because you can't find high sulfur fuel. So you, the money you've invested, you cannot recuperate it for that. So, and this is something that happened already a few years in the past. And it's not a very game-changing uh, fuel, you know, from high sulfur to low sulfur. Imagine when you have to discuss between ammonia, uh, methanol, uh, you know, it's going to be the logistical nightmare for, for uh, huge investments, uh, you know, uh, just not investment on the ships, investment uh, on the consumption chain, on the, on the, on the logistic of providing it. I think it's going to be very complicated. Exactly. So it's a part of from the cost, or technology-wise, that whether methanol or uh, ammonia or other or any other alternative fuels can be really competitive or non-polluted comparing with uh, the conventional fuel. But I think the key point is, is uh, we all agree that uh, uh, the supplies of these alternative fuels is also a big question mark. So I think personally, I believe that certain liner or liner-related business, for example, large cape size or carriers, VLCC or mega container vessels because they have the fixed routing mm -hmm. for, uh, for their trees. Maybe there's kind of uh, uh, easy supplies of uh, either this methanol for sure or, uh, or ammonia for sure. So whatever for sure can be there for, for the easy supplies. But otherwise for, uh, for rather tramping uh, a smaller size of vessels, I think it's extremely difficult to even organize the logistics of supplies of such kind of fuels. It is thus. I think so far there's no any uh, certain answer. Yeah, and, and it's all those consultants and advisors that don't own any ships, right? It's so easy. Just do this, just do that. It's actually really hard. Really, really, really hard. Yeah. Right? And, and, and uh, you know, it's not, it's, not, it's not a very popular thing to say, 
but but um, you know, if we didn't care about how we do how we were doing today on the ships we have trading, then yes, it would be a problem, right? But we are making no. massive investments and allocating massive resources in optimizing what we do today, right? And Look, that, that should not be neglected. I think if I could make it, you know, uh, this is the future. Uh, predictions are always very difficult, especially when they are about the future. So just to tell you one thing, but. Um, uh, I think that in the future you see a lot of a push towards more efficient ships, but I think replacing oil is going to be a, a, a big job. I think it's going to be much longer, but we are compelled or we're all obliged to improve how we burn it, burning it more efficiently. But I think there'll be a lot of more efforts on that side. Probably there'll be more efforts on the carbon capture. You know, the, some, some solutions out of the box. Saying that methanol will solve all the problems, I don't believe it. That ammonia will solve all the problems, no. I think everybody will, uh, there's going to be a mix of things. This is obviously a, uh, a um, you know, complex uh, theme to, uh, to discuss, and, and you could probably continue for a couple of hours, but it seems like time has uh, run out. So uh, Marco, Mats, and, and, and John, thank you for sharing your insight uh, with us today. And, um, and uh, thank you very much luck. for, for having you. us. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.